Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. I'm Aaron Sagers, and this is Talking Strange. Hey there, spooky nerds, and welcome to Talking Strange, a paranormal pop culture show. I'm your host, journalist, author, and researcher of weird things, Aaron Sagers. You can also catch me on 28 Days Haunted on Netflix and Paranormal Caught on Camera on Travel Channel, the Max streaming service, and Discovery+. Plus. And hey, good news on that front. We are rolling into our seventh season of Paranormal Caught on Camera. So watch this space and I'll be providing you with some updates on that as soon as I can. So a couple months ago, I was traveling throughout Reno and I was meeting with the, some great people from the Reno Tahoe territory and covered ground in Virginia City, Carson City and uh, Lake Tahoe and really got a chance to explore Reno, Nevada uh, a little bit more. And one of the places that even though I had been to Reno a handful of times before, I I did not make it to the National automobile museum until this past trip and let me tell you this is a thing this is a location that i'm so glad that i was able to visit because it is massive it's 100,000 square feet i believe of a museum it has more than 200 cars in its collection and it seems like each of those cars has just its own story its own legend its own lore connected to it and it's recognized as one of america's top 10 automobile museum so why are we talking about this on a show that talks a lot about the paranormal and leans into spooky well because of that history because of how much history is on those show floors in the museum so it is a walk or a drive through history and to talk about the national automobile museum in reno nevada i am joined today by the president phil mcdougall and this gentleman was such a great and gracious host for me when i was touring the museum and i'm excited to have him on the show today phil thank you for joining me sir thank you for having me i as i said it was i just got such a kick checking out the location and wandering around i did not know what i what was in store for me when i walked through those doors and i guess before we get into the collection itself and the history of it take take me uh to phil's backstory tell me a little bit about you and how you ended up connected to the national automobile museum well, I, I like to say I had three midlife crises in my life. The first part, I was in a very different industry, semiconductor for about 12 years, walking around with a coat and tie and got to get in these clean rooms. And and that was that was fun. But then I literally had a, a midlife crisis and I got into the NBA. I worked for the NBA and I was the president of uh, the Sacramento Kings, a vice president of Sacramento Kings. And I did that for about 12 years. Uh 
changed careers again, got into a little bit of the events and the Chamber of Commerce and did promotion, moved here to Reno, I moved back and forth to the United States, originally from Boston, but all that stuff changed when my family started settling in Reno, Nevada, and I said, hell no, I'm not going, because I was, you know, 50-some years old, starting over again, uh, but I wish I got here 30 years ago. I love it. I got introduced to some people here in town. They asked me if I'm interested in getting involved in the museum. I said, heck yes, it's got everything, checks all the boxes, and I'm extremely blessed to be here. Well, and are you... Are, would you consider yourself a car guy or were you a car guy before you became associated with the automobile museum? Yeah, that's that's funny. That's that's something that they like to tease me about. So, no, I don't have a collection. I've always loved automobiles. I'm from back east. My very first car, I did, it got for 50 bucks. I could see the ground because it was all rusted out as I drove, but I did not care. I got a chance to have a little freedom. So I love automobiles. I love mostly the histories about it because you're here at the museum, you'll see one of a kind, you see technology that was this close to going to the next level and they gave up. You see some that just gave it one more chance and they made it very successful. So I love stories, I love history. We get all of that here at the museum. Well, let's talk about the collection itself because Again, I wasn't familiar with this before I came there, and I, I can't seem to get enough of the information now, but it all kind of starts with one man and grew from there. So walk us through a little bit about the history of the National Automobile Museum. Yeah, most people don't realize it, but Bill Harrow in the gaming, that's where he's very familiar. He he was a pioneer. He had the gaming casinos. Uh, that That's a whole episode just on that gentleman. But he, he was a uh, home base was here. He was an avid car collector. The very first story is he got one car. He went and competed. He was very proud and found out that uh, he was actually very, very embarrassed because all of his colleagues pointed out that all the modifications to the car. And he said from that point on, he's passionate. He's going to make sure he, he understands that he grew his collection up to over 1,400 automobiles, some of the most amazing automobiles you've ever seen in your life. Uh, that's what most people are familiar with, his name and his collection. Uh, when he passed, he didn't have a will. And the long story short is Holiday Inn acquired the assets. They were going to start selling them all off. People in the community got together and said, you can't do that. They built the museum. The city donated land. In 1989, they built this 105,000 square foot facility to uh, showcase 175 of those cars. And since that time, we grew. But it all is based on Mr. Herrera and his passion for automobiles, and not just one particular car, but the technology uh, and the stories behind him. He, he was really passionate about that. Plus, he was a big Hollywood guy. I mean, he had all the entertainers coming here. So the Frank Sinatra's of the world and Sammy Davis Jr. I have a wall back there. Every entertainer you could ever possibly imagine passed through and had a chance to look at his collection. Yeah, so with, with Bill Hara, and of course, for people maybe in Reno, this is, uh, people know, Bill Hara, first and last name, but I think for people that are not familiar with him, Harris Casino, of course. Correct. So during the time that he was alive, and and remind me, when did, and I'm sorry, I don't have this offhand, when did Bill pass away? It's been 70s. It's okay. 70s. So during the time that he had this collection of 1,400 cars to begin with, 
what what was happening with these cars? Was it just his own private, essentially large garage, or were there people walking through and checking it out, or what was happening yeah. in the well, space? It was a combination. People had a chance to come through there. There was more like big warehouses, and they were really close together. But you could pay to come through that and look at them. So it was a museum. It went through phases: private collection to museum. But he had a full staff. Uh, it's funny we have we have uh, pictures of people because. One of the most important things people don't realize that we have here at the museum is a full collection of all the hair cars, a big library. So every single car from the palette of the, the PMS colors of the color of the car, the material, the manuals, we have all that here. It's a really robust library. But he had people typing up VIN numbers on little index cars. Remember back then you had like a little typewriter, you make a mistake, the whiteout. So he had a full staff working on it, cleaning it, preserving them. He participated in shows. A big part of it is he had rallies all around, tours. And uh, you think about the tours. Actually, we're going to reenact that this year. I'll get into that later with you. We're going to have a big hair homecoming in, in uh, June of 2025. All the 1,400 car owners were inviting him back. But it was something he was really proud of. Uh, and uh, the public got a chance to see it. Yeah. And I do, I love the fact that, so during his tenure, uh, he he did have, and I guess even a little bit after his, his tenure, he had this entire staff that was taking care of all of these vehicles, not, not working the casino floors, not like these were, these were like casino staff, but they were hired to take care of the cars. 100% dedicated staff to, for the library, to catalog everything. Uh, to put every single piece of information on a little index card, every manual, uh, everything you can imagine. He was meticulous in it. And the car had to be original, had to be you know, the bolt, the screw. You couldn't have anything that wasn't original. He'd look everywhere. You know, a famous story is that if he wanted a particular car, word got out there. Let's just say he wanted a Bugatti or he wanted some car. Owners or collectors would go, I know he wants this one, but I'm going to make him buy 12. He didn't want 12, he wanted one. But if he wanted that one, he was going to have to buy all the 12. And he'd buy them all just to get the one he wanted. Well, the collection has grown to include other vehicles that he did not have in his, his own private collection. But is there anything in the museum right now that is that you would say would have been Hera's um, pride and joy, his, his baby? Yeah, well, there's one that's more iconic. We call it yet a wagon. And uh, it was his personal wagon, and it's it's kind of got this cult following because I, I had it in the garage for a number of years, the warehouse where we were doing some renovations. I had so many people calling and yelling me and texting me. I came all the way back from Oklahoma to see the famous Girari. And the story behind that is that he used to go quite fast, and he'd go up to his place in Vegas, well, I mean in uh, Tahoe, and he'd go everywhere. And everyone knows he saw the orange wagon. You just didn't bother pulling him over. You just let him do his thing. But he liked to go fast, and it wasn't going fast enough. So one day he brought it back in, and he told his group, he said, you have a week, a week to take the engine out, expand it, and put a Ferrari engine in his wagon because he wanted to go faster up the hill. So we called it Girari, and that's more of symbolic of him and his passion. It's just you got a week, put an engine in it. So this Girari is very, uh, has a cult following that's pretty unique. Yeah. Are all the, all the vehicles still could they be operational like that one could you drive that out of the museum i get that asked a lot and, and i'm not trying to be funny but the truth is they all run they don't all stop 
but they all run. <laughs> so we can pull them up, uh, put the liquid back, fuel back into them, get the battery in. Uh, but when over time, you know, certain things go, especially you got to make sure the brakes and everything are, are, are working. But yes, and we take them all out. We're on a mission now to go in there and get at least every couple of months. We'll pull a couple more in, check them out, make sure they're okay, and and put them back in again. But yes, they all run. They don't all necessarily all stop. You've got the, and there's so many that with uh, 225, more than 225 cars, we're not going to be able to go through all of these. But I'd, I'd love to hear you share some of the, the older kind of iconic vehicles that you have and what makes them so special why people should definitely make a trip to check these out well we have about 240 cars of which of them about 10 of them are on loan and we partner with all kinds of museums as well we also have a hollywood section as well uh, but some of the most unique car in the whole museum is the famous thomas flyer so people come from all around uh, just to see that i mean literally all around the world if people aren't familiar with it it was a race around the world uh, in 1907, the Thomas Flyer was built and won the race around the world against, uh, well, started in New York, ended up in Paris. Most people think it looks like the Clampets, uh, but I would say it's priceless because we have a, a 36 Mercedes. It's, you know, 13 to 20 million. We have a lot of other cars that are very valuable and unique, but the most valuable, the most unique, the one he's most proud of, I believe, or he was, was the famous Thomas Flyer that won the race around the world. Yeah, and it's a... It's yeah, it looks maybe it looks rough. Maybe it looks like a clampet wagon, but it's also kind of gorgeous when you consider the story. And that's that's kind of my connection to cars is that I can't really talk about the inner workings and and all of that. Maybe some very basic info, but I love the stories and I love just soaking it up and, and reading the the backstory of them. You also have um, so early electric cars, correct? Yeah, yeah, we have a Baker Electric, I think it's 19, you're going to catch me now, 1912, 1914 Baker Electric car. It's really funny because you'll think and you'll think of Tesla and some of these really recognizable brands, but they were making electric cars back in the 1912s, it, it, earlier, and it has, you open it up at the front and the back, it's got all these batteries that are just packed in there. They were really creative people, and if it wasn't for things like the Depression and other you know, national, global uh, things that affected the market, uh, some of these things would have, you know, turned on and been much more successful earlier on in life. There are so many different types of cars here that are one-offs that are just really innovative, but for a variety of reasons, you know, economic climate, things consolidated, they ran out of money, and they weren't able to pursue it. The Thomas Fire, though, the story around about that is, that's really powerful. Most people in the world, the first time they ever saw a car in Japan or in Asia was the Thomas Flyer. Yeah. And, and yeah, with, you know, with regards to the, the electric cars, it's, it's funny. It's sort of, we see that with tech technology a lot that there's these two, you know, workable models, but for whatever market forces or economic things that are taking place or just maybe preference, you know, VHS versus Betamax, the market kind of goes in one direction, even though the other product is still a very functional and, and great product. So it's almost like this parallel universe exists out there where what if the electric car had, uh, you know, taken off earlier or the battery powered car? Yeah. There's in that same showroom, it's you have 
you have a lot of notable um, Hollywood vehicles, but there is the one that uh, I got a kick out of because we can actually see it in the background of one of the most uh, popular movies of all time now, Titanic, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll tell you a G-rated story with that because there's a lot of people, we have proms here all the time. Just real quickly, we have to put a chaperone there a prom night because it's a very famous scene in that movie. And although the car we had was not the one that the famous scene took place in, there's a lot of people here come from prom night and try and reenact that. So we have to put a, I don't know if you, you know the scene I'm talking about. We have to put a chaperone here. And most of them were born 20 years after the movie came out, but they still know about that car. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I wasn't I wasn't uh, compelled to make out with anyone in front of the car, but I did think it was a very cool car to look at. And it's kind of funny Beautiful. to see it in the background of uh, of the movie. Walk us through some of the other notable vehicles that are in your collection. I, again, it's it's so much to count. I, I will say that the my favorite room was you walk in and you see the Elvis car right there. And I know that's one of your favorites, if not your favorite, right? Yeah, big, I'm a big Elvis fan. I think I shared with you that when it came in, you know, Elvis gave the car to his uh, karate teacher, and his karate teacher uh, had some things in it, and Mr. Hare bought it from him. But it was in the museum here for over 29 years. I came on board two and a half years ago, heard that, and I heard there was a box in the trunk that nobody really looked at since it was came in, found the box, and it was open for like 29 years. It was just stuck somewhere. It was Elvis's original Gia outfit his will, his original um, black belt certificate, and some personal photos and records. And it was just sitting in here from Elvis's trunk for 29 years. So that's a cool one. That's It's such a crazy story because you figure if Bill Hara acquired that in the 70s, Elvis passes away in 77. The museum opens in, what, 89, I think? 89. This thing has been sitting there for nearly half a century in, in the trunk, just untouched, just, just well, left it, there. Well, it was in the trunk, and one of our volunteers pulled it out and stuck it in a room, and it was sitting there. He came back to visit me when I first started. So it was just a fluke. It would have been thrown away where it was. Nobody knew it was here all this time. Are there any other stories like finding just odd little you know, uh, not always a big box of Elvis's belongings, but odd little quirks or, you know, things that that had been owned by these notable people. Well, I'll tell you, they're, uh, Frank Sinatra, we have his Kia. It's a beautiful car. And when I looked in it, I go, Good, what happened? Like, you remember that Dynamo tape people used to make labels and they put them on their binders and stuff? Well, there's like orange labels. His favorite color was orange. So the handle gear shift was orange. And and there's orange tape everywhere. And I get in the car and I'm going, what is this? It was such a new car back then. But he didn't know what all these eight-track buttons and all the volume was. So he literally typed out eight-track turn volume on here, turn radio off here. This is how you do this. So there's orange Dynamo uh tape stickers all over the Frank Sinatra put in to tell him how to turn the radio on, where to put the A-track in. And then there was scare back then uh, about a kidnapping threat with his child. And he always, and his, uh, Frank Sinatra's gun holster is still under the seat, his driver's seat. So that's kind of cool. You're, you're just living what he did and you're seeing some stuff that he personally added to the car. What's a vehicle? So 
you were um I, I was able to kind of sit in some of these vehicles i was able to sit in an elvis only because you're a vip I, I, yeah i know that's not something uh yeah. anybody else is able to do yeah. and i was very fortunate but is there any vehicle that you know when you open the door when you slide into those seats like maybe after hours or whatever that you really feel kind of the weight of history like like almost like you are connecting on some level with the people that had owned these vehicles the people that had been driving them around well i'm gonna tell you a couple couple ones that i'm not gonna lie uh, i have sat in when people are gone i have got in elvis's cadillac just to sit there where the king was and it's really kind of it's kind of it's a really cool feeling but when we turn the, the museum off at nighttime and you're back you're back in the old West. Like people don't realize the first thing they do, they come in the museum. They go, Oh my God, you're like at Disneyland. Cause we have these streets like the wild, wild West street. We have a whole 30 street with a facades, like a back lot at a movie theater. They don't have any idea that that's what we have. But when you get into the cars in the stars area, you see Al Jolson, Lana Turner's car, the famous Tucker car, uh, Mercury, uh, James Dean rebel without a cause. Uh, Elvis's car, John Wayne's, you're going, Frank Sinatra's, you're going, wow, like it takes you back in time. And when it's dark in there, you kind of look, you go, oh my Lord, uh, uh, Douglas MacArthur's car. I sat there going, this is the guy that said I shall return. And I'm sitting in his car. And, you know, he was in the Philippines in this. Or uh, the Tucker car, you're sitting in the Tucker car, you know the story behind it. This guy, against all odds, all the manufacturers tried to shut him down. That's a really cool feeling. And you're part of history sitting in this. Yeah. Yeah. And and the setup of the museum itself, I do love you said it. It is sort of like you're walking through Disneyland a little bit because you have all these different uh, themed rooms and eras and just sort of this main street as well that you're walking through. But just kind of as an aside, why? Why was it kind of designed with that in mind? Because it, it you very could have it very easily could have just had a museum where it's like, okay, here's the early cars, here's the Hollywood cars, bing bang boom, throw up a poster and that's it. But instead it's very nicely themed out. Do you know the the reason that they really went to those great pains? Yeah, I just think they're ahead of their time. You know, a big part of Bill Bill Hera was the history of the cars. Not necessarily he preferred a certain type of car, he just preferred unique cars. And I don't think there's a better way of doing it is to putting it in a, in a setting back in time. So I can see a car, but if I put the car on a backdrop of 1930s, like Bonnie and Clyde's car there, and I see the gangster uh, car and I see the, the marquee like it was in the 30s, you're truly getting a better experience. Then you turn the corner and you're on the wild, wild west with the general store and you're seeing, you know, uh, the car from that period of time. I just think that people really embrace it. You can experience it at a different level. Versus, and they're beautiful. A lot of museums, they're just big open museums with the concrete floors and very nicely done with some nice marquee and signs, but it's a different experience. Yeah. We want to put you back in time. We want you to read the stories and the little placards. That Those are unique. Uh, so I keep saying it over again. It's the stories. It's the experience. It's the cars. It's the histories. We want you to fully embrace them when you're there. People will come in and go, I need more time. This is not enough time to see it all. Uh, well, I, I agree with that. I think when we first met, 
I thought I was going to pop through and do a, you know, quick walkthrough in a 45 minutes. And I was there for, I think, three hours, yeah. uh, much, much to my uh, chagrin since I was running late for the next appointment, but well worth it. Are there any vehicles in there that uh, that might kind of creep you out a little bit just because of the history associated with it or, you know, not that it's a scary vehicle, but it just kind of creeps you out a bit. I, I got to admit, I get a little nervous. I have got a little nervous when I turn the lights off, the last one to leave, and I'm walking down these streets and I'm seeing like the the old Model Ts. Uh, not so much that creeps me out, but it just puts me back. Like right away, I'll look at Al Jolson's car and I'll just go, "Oh my lord, what what took place in that time? That was a different part of American culture back then." In his car, and you see a picture of him in black and white right next to it, and you're standing at the car where he's holding the handle. You can't help but have that connection. You know, yeah. you see a picture of John Wayne standing next to his '53 Corvette uh, convertible, and you're going, "Man, like." I feel like I'm next to the Duke to it. I'm not trying to exaggerate, but you can't help but put yourself in, in that place. Uh, there's some, there's some stories there. Well, I'll tell you one. I, we have a famous, we have Mercury, the Mercury car that was in the James, uh, James Dean uh, rebel without a cause. So this did freak me out a little bit. And my team didn't tell me. So there's a thing called hot August nights here. If people aren't familiar. It's like 400,000 people come here every year to, to Reno for this event that the Mercury, the James Dean's car, we lead the parade every year. So it's a big honor. It's symbolic. My first time here, I got in the car. I drove down the street, and I'm leading it, and I'm feeling really cool. And then I noticed, like, right in front of me, the window just cracks. Like, right in front of me, the side window. Oh, my gosh. Like, I I broke the car. How did I, I, There's no one there. So that is really weird and creepy. I bring it back, and then my team goes, you know, uh, how'd you do? I said, good. I said, but that thing creep. And they all looked at me and they go, you know, everyone has, has driven in that car has had a really tragic thing happen in their life. And I'm going, well, now you tell me that. Like, couldn't you tell me that before you gave me the keys? But I literally saw the thing just crack right in front of my eyes. I'm going, all right, that was a little creepy. Yeah. Well, especially with, you know, James Dean being so associated with cars yeah. and racing, the story is, and I know this is not the spider Right. Um, but the story of the spider little bastard that he, uh, unfortunately died in that's a, that kind of connects our world because it's said to be, well, what's left of it is said to be like a incredibly haunted vehicle. And anyone that seems to come into contact with parts of that vehicle met some sort of tragedy or injury right. or something. Um, so, and it kind of makes sense in a way of when I walked in, into the, the museum, not that I, it wasn't a bad feeling. In fact, it was a very cool feeling walking around, but it's like, man, of course, somewhere like this would be haunted because people's vehicles become an extension of them. We spend so much time in our cars and when it's a really prized possession, there is a piece of you connected to it. Uh, any other stories of like, well, I don't know, spooky stuff, hauntings, anybody ever tell you the place is haunted? Yeah, well, we have a few. So we have a person that came here and uh, they just approached me. So I don't have the details yet, but they've given a walk here and they they, they have a lot more details about certain cars that I'm not aware of uh, with people who have passed away and had some very mysterious circumstances. So we're going to be giving a tour of that. They're putting the program together, taking us through at night with a tour around the street, highlighting some of the cars that had some very unique 
creepy situations tied to them. So I'll, I'll have more details on that in a couple of weeks. Yeah, please. I definitely want to hear about that. I, I also like you, it's almost, it's like you have, um, we mentioned sort of the, uh, the battery power electric car, but there's these other vehicles that almost look like they're, they came out of a, a science fiction movie. Um, anything that come to mind comes to mind like that, where you're just like, man, the, the, what they were playing with, what they were kind of testing out as far as design and experimental kind of mechanics, anything like that, that you could share. Yeah. We, we have one that's caused, just trying to look up the year. We have one that's a Dymaxia that it looks like a big submarine with yeah. three wheels, uh, one of a kind. Uh, the Phantom Corsair, that looks like it was, it was like in the 30s. And if you look at it, almost everybody goes, oh my, that's something like out of Batman, like one of the gothic Batman movies, way ahead of its time. Uh, it, it's hard to believe. Even the Lana Turner car, the Chrysler. Uh, I just had a pleasure of driving that down in, in uh, Vegas at the Wynn Concourse and the, the big thing on Formula One. This, the, it looks like something you see out of a cartoon. I mean, and these things were made years and years and years ago. People forget these cars were made by hand. They don't have these uh, equipment and laser printer and laser cutters and all the stuff they have nowadays. Uh, there, there's a lot of, I don't know, it's just very... Very special, very unique qualities. The color, even the colors of the cars are cool. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking of that one that looks like it was a, a submarine, like something that came out of a, as you said, a, a Batman movie or a, some sort of a Jules Verne almost story. But I mean, speaking of uh, Batman, I know it, it wasn't in your collection when I was there, pre, uh, but you had previously had a George Barris Batmobile at the museum, correct? Yeah, we had the Batmobile, the number four. It was one of the series, the Batmobile from the original series. We had the Michael Keaton version of the Batmobile side-by-side side showing the transitions. We we literally built the Batcave. Oh, now we transitioned that into Jurassic Park. We have the Jurassic Park wagon uh, in there as well now. But those, those are really cool cars. It's just hard to believe that they were made that long ago. And they're just so unique. A lot, a lot of them, though, they look good. But you can't turn, and you know you got to do like a thirty-five point turn to get them around. There's no eyesight, so they're not the safest thing in the world. But they look cool, and everybody wants us to ship them to their shows, like the Phantom Corsair. You, you have this kind of unique opportunity through the events that you do, and just being at the museum every day to see kind of the expression of joy that people have when they see their favorite car and it kind of brings them back or it kind of reminds them of childhood or whatever it might be. Talk a little bit about that and also the, the mission, your mission and the mission of the museum to give back and also kind of bring that joy to other people through cars, through the car collection. Yeah, well, I'll share a personal story with you, but this happens all the time. Uh, we just had a veterans display, and I had George S. Patton's personal Jeep, and the story about his chair was really funny. Uh, we have General Douglas MacArthur and Pershing. So when you see some of the veterans come through, it just brings them back in time. They get very emotional. My father is 100 years old. He flew out a couple of years ago, and I took him through it. So it's the very first car all the way up to Austin Powers' car we have, or Elvis's car. And he's walking through, he's 100, and he literally took back in time, and he got all emotional. He's going, that's the first car model I ever sat in. And then he'll go to the next gallery, he's a little emotional. He goes, 
that's the car my brother had before he went to the military and he, you know, went to war. And he goes, and that's car. I sat there. That's the last time I saw my brother Roland because he died shortly after an accident. And he just took him back in time. He goes, oh, now there's my convertible, you know. And I finally felt like I made it. I had a convertible like this one over here. And he just took him back. And that's just it. Their stories, their memories. Uh, I have a podcast show we do. And the very first question I ask every single person is, do you remember your first car? Everybody remembers their first car. They don't remember what they had for breakfast. And they typically always smile. Yeah, well, it's again, because we spend so much of our lives and like these significant moments in our vehicles. And it it really does. It's It's an extension of us. The, and the museum is becomes sort of this extension of Reno itself. Share a little bit about how you work with the community and how you kind of bring people from the community into the museum. Well, big thing, and I, I mean this, our board, it's their leadership that's allowing us to do this. So the last three years, we've had a big transition. People forget we have a full movie theater. We just built an outdoor venue, 16,000 square feet on the river, 40-foot bar, fire pits. And why? Because we want to extend. We want to change and grow. People used to tell me, uh, it happens all the time, last time I was at the museum was at my uh, prom or my fourth grade field trip. We want to get away from that. So we are constantly changing, bringing nonprofits in. Uh, we have a speaker series. And uh, all these things we do, like a speaker series, or I have a casting call for commercial, or we have nonprofit events, or we do something that's for Parkinson's disease, all those are good community partnerships, but they also give me a chance to bring people in the museum that might not know cars, have an appreciation for cars, but now they're exposed to it. And whether they like old cars, new cars, racing cars we have, uh, Hollywood cars, we're exposing them to history, but we're just being a good partner. But we're a 501c3. The only way we make it is people buying tickets or donations. And uh, all the space we have, it helps bring the community together and we're sharing the space with them. You also have that gorgeous podcast studio. We have a podcast studio. And you should see when I get here, I'm not going to lie. I go, okay, why are you doing a speaker series? I go, well, we're bringing people in. We're educating them on best practices and some takeaways. We're also exposing them to the cars. Why do you want to put a podcast studio in? Well, I'm bringing in another audience. They want to come in here and do podcasts. Uh, we charge you know, a couple hundred dollars to do something. We don't make any money, but it's exposing people to technology, another venue, another medium. And I'm getting him to know cars a little bit and the stories of outdoor patio. We're doing movie nights. We're doing uh, uh, concerts out there. Not a car thing, but bringing people in as a community partner. That's all part of the package. Yeah. Now, before I let you go, I want you to share some of the exhibits that you have going on and what's what's coming down the line for people that might be visiting reno the cool thing is for people that are here people coming the biggest change we made is and i would be open with you why would you come to our museum if the same cars are at the same spot every time you visit we're not doing that we move things every month the month and a half now so i have one month we'll have burning man cars Another month we'll have an exhibit that's on Corvettes or muscle cars. We are working on a muscle car exhibit. But in the short term, I just have Adam Corolla's uh, race, Paul Newman's race cars. So his Paul Newman's personal race car collection purchased by Adam Corolla. 
That's just arrived here today. The remaining six are coming in next week. That's going to be huge for us. It's a great salute to uh, Paul Newman, who wanted to be known as a race car driver, not an actor. After that, we have Formula One cars coming in from Vegas. That's you know extremely popular. That'll be here in a couple of weeks. We partner with Sony. So Sony is bringing in their Men in Black uh, vehicles from the movie th series, Looper, Pixar. Uh, what else? Ghostbusters are coming in from the movie sets, uh, Lightning McQueen. So we're trying to appeal to a very diverse audience, and we're switching it every 30 to 60 days. Yeah. That's just, we have the next next 60 days, all that stuff's coming in. Wow. And and yeah, I mean, those are not only big big names from big movies, but uh, you you literally, when I was there, I think Jeremy Renner had just come through as well. So you've got like these notable faces that are literally walking around the museum as well. He's big supporter in Reno, and I forgot even like Ghost Riders. So we're going to do a motorcycle exhibit. So Nicolas Cage movie, we have the motorcycles from Ghost Riders coming in again. Another audience. We're going to do a load rider exhibit. Just try and appeal to a large audience and. Get them excited about it. And we're also starting a program for youth. A lot of people don't even know how to change tires, where the oil is, how to do the pressure. So we're going to be introducing a program for people to get more, you know, 101 in car, uh, just in cars in general. And when are you rolling out that that after after dark um, creepy cars or kind of spooky car story? Program. Uh, our first one, I believe, will start. It'll be a monthly series, a monthly event that's doing on Sunday nights. So we're going to start that in April. Okay. And I've had several great meetings with them. It'd be a combination of magic acts, illusionists, and then stories from the streets that are here tied to cars. So we've uh, partnered with somebody. It's uh, Kaylin and Ginger, and they're amazing illusionists, magicians, and they got a whole bunch of stuff they're going to be doing with us to partner with us but we'll do tours every sunday i believe or once a month you, you know what you you need phil you might need a uh paranormal guy to come through and uh talk about uh some some spooky car lore even if it's not part of your collection some I'll of those give cool me the stories dates. i'll give yeah. you the dates i would It'd love to do it no i just want to remind people that we're here and our website is simple it's just automuseum.org not .com automuseum.org Anyone has any suggestions or questions, come by and visit us. We're changing every month. All right. Well, Phil, I appreciate your time today. And once again, my guest is Phil McDougall, who is the president of the National Automobile Museum in Reno, Nevada. And I really can't stress enough how just how much of a good time I had going there. And I really recommend this as a as a spot for all of you guys that are fans of history, fans of pop culture, you get it all at the National Automobile Museum, more than 100,000 square feet and more than 200 cars in that collection that, as Phil said, is constantly changing. Now, it brings us to the end of this episode of Talking Strange. I'm Aaron Sagers, and until next time, be kind, stay spooky, and keep it weird. Talking Strange is a part of the Den of Geek Network, available wherever you listen to other podcasts. If you like what we're doing, share Talking Strange with your friends and fellow spooky nerds. And please, subscribe, rate, and leave a nice review. If you have a strange or paranormal story you would like to share with us, please email talkingstrange at denofgeek.com for a chance to have it read on a future episode. For video episodes of Talking Strange, check out twitch.tv slash denofgeektv 
and youtube.com slash denofgeekus. And please follow at TalkStrangePod on Twitter and at Aaron Sagers on Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon for more paranormal pop culture content. Mm-hmm.